0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn. His name is Jeff Gannon. This is the number one value investing podcast in the world. Every other value investing podcast. (laughs) I'm just kidding. How are you doing today? (laughs) They're all wonderful as well. They all (laughs) are wonderful podcasts. It's all about the community and growing together. How's it going Mm -hmm. today? Uh, It's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else. If you're listening on YouTube, watching us on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. If you're listening on the podcast side of things, hit that subscribe button. So in today's podcast, we're going to be talking about this idea of inefficient markets and common reasons why stocks get mispriced. Sure. And, you know, this whole efficient market hypothesis Mm -hmm. is always talked about. Right. They teach it in school. They probably teach it in the CFA books. I don't don't know if they do. I'm assuming (laughs) that they do. Um, But let's talk about it, right? Okay. And there's a lot of people that also think because of, like, indexing Mm -hmm. that inefficiencies may not be as much of a thing going forward i don't necessarily agree with that i think because of indexing um when people tend to sell out or systemic selling or something like that you know that it could cause more mispricings okay but what are the common reasons why stocks tend to get missed price by the market okay
1: so i have my favorite edition of the intelligent investor here this is the 1949 edition it's the best edition and um it talks a little bit about specific examples so that's the advantage uh and the specific examples given in it are very similar to today so holding companies yeah may have discounts two companies that have assets that are not carried on their books at the correct prices or companies that combine assets and earnings we talked a few podcasts ago about dover motorsports they have two locations one produces the earnings and then one is uh, like a 1,000 acres that's mostly not being used. Um, the Nashville Speedway isn't bringing in any earnings. So people may price it on price to book, okay, or price to earnings. But in reality, neither is really right. Price to earnings is the right value or EVD, but or whatever you want on the thing that earns money. And then price to book or some real appraisal of the value of the land is the right one for the other half. So that's been my experience with that one. Um, and... It's often asset value stuff. So, the thing the market misses a lot is asset values or earnings that aren't appearing right now. The market tends to reward things that are appearing right now. So, historically, dividends were the big thing. Mm -hmm. And so, some companies that didn't pay big dividends were actually very attractive. So, like, I find this to still be somewhat true for banks. So, banks, there's some people pay too much attention to dividend yield and price to book. Whereas, if the bank could pay a higher dividend but doesn't yet, it's cheaper. They reward the dividend as the bird in the hand, so to speak, too much. And then price to book, if the company creates value beyond book value, that may not be rewarded enough. Um, This is not so much true for very big stocks. So Graham talks about cross holdings and stuff, too. He has one example, which is great, which is there was a $14 railroad stock that, by his calculation, was earning about $10. And that was the price the market put on. It was $14. Uh Now, the reason why is they paid almost no dividend. And most of its earnings came from a f- like fraction less than 50% ownership stake in another railroad. Uh-huh. So people weren't counting that because it didn't count it itself, so you had to adjust it. So they thought it was trading for about 14 times earnings or about a normal dividend yield or something, when in reality it, w- it wasn't trading anything of the sort. So those are the kinds of common things. I think people quickly notice dividend um, stuff react to it. PE sometimes, earnings reacts to that, and then sometimes price to book as well. But when things diverge from that through ownership and different things, uh, people miss that a lot more.
0: Are those opportunities, though, in the markets, though, today? Yes. Above its Sanborn maps? I mean, you're not going to find situations like that.
1: Um, not in the United States today. Uh, and generally, n- you won't because of activism. So the difference was it was very hard to be an activist back then.
0: I just wonder if price discovery is different nowadays because of social media, because of blogs, because of there's so many investors focusing in this space. We'll see. I don't know how much reaction there'll be to the fact that we did a podcast
1: on Dover Motorsports and whether anyone will think that that's kind of odd that most of the market cap is probably covered by land and most of the market cap is probably covered by earnings. I don't know. I'm not sure that people will get that excited about it and be that interested in it. I, you know i don't know and i didn't do a deep dive into it to see whether i like it enough to buy it and stuff yeah but um you know it just certainly seems a lot more interesting a thing to dive into than all these sports things that i hear talked about and stuff and the discounts seem bigger than what we see with mm-hmm. um things like that but you know we mentioned plenty of stocks that have asset value things and i don't think it's driven a lot of interest by people to invest in it
0: now why is that is that because the revenue is not the top line isn't growing at you know massive rates that these other companies are that are you know rewarded with high multiples
1: i think
0: people
1: um most if the stock behaves well if it goes up in price and stuff people will like it better but absent that they like dividends and they like earnings Mm -hmm. um that wasn't always the case a long time ago that wasn't the case but it has been for a long time now and so i think that earnings tend to be the thing that people overweight they'll react when the earnings shoot up that that's tends to be like with net nets. No one will buy a net net now, but once a net net starts earning, when it's earning like almost nothing, but once it starts earning decent returns and stuff, then people will buy it on the earnings. So we talked about stocks like that, like um, oh well, we've talked about Tandy Leather, Friedman Industries is a um, is a net net, things like that. So Tandy, for instance, I don't know the price on it and everything, but at like three dollars or so a share, it wouldn't be that far from me. And net net, we'll know for sure when they do their updated accounting and stuff with um, their annual meeting, but. Let's say it's three dollars or something, right? I don't know that people care that much, but if at some point it earns a dollar a share, uh, then people will care a lot. Now, mm-hmm. earning a dollar a share on three dollars of net current assets isn't actually that unusual. It's kind of something the company could be capable of. So, if it ever got turned around that way, what you could see is not that it go. People don't want to buy it at three dollars. To f- hoping to buy at three and sell at five or six. But actually, if it did earn a dollar, then people might be very willing to buy it at 12. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because they may see it as any price below 10, 11, 12 times earnings as being cheap. People focus a lot on the earnings part. So if you can find a business that you know is going to earn more in the future or that um, has an earning power that's greater in the future, I think that that's, uh, that tends to be what's mispriced.
0: Now, I guess in the space that we invest in, right, the pond that we fish mm-hmm. in, Uh, Did you read I'm sure you read over-the-counter markets their um, their earnings report. Right, yes. So they, ver- they were not really like not affected by COVID yes. at all. I think they actually bought back a lot of their stock. Not a lot, but they bought back stock. And as as most companies to, didn't, yeah. yeah. And I was like, wow, this earnings was great. Top line was great. I don't think the stock you moved to sun. Right, so <laughs> that has to do with the way that the information gets disseminated in the
1: market. Yeah. And it's been my experience that companies that are highly liquid and stuff, um, the efficient market hypothesis stuff is sort of more correct in that they immediately react To the earnings, they could react the right way, the wrong way, whatever emotionally, but from an information basis, they immediately react. It's in my experience that there's a lagging reaction to earning stuff in highly illiquid stocks. That's one of them. And so actually, you probably could make money just by buying companies that had strong earnings already because you know that in the next year they're gonna lap those earnings and Mm -hmm. stuff. And so the PE will kind of be trailing instead of forward. No one has a forward PE on these stocks. They don't pay attention to it. That was my experience. And it's been my experience in tiny banks. It's been my experience um, with some smaller things, supermarkets and things. They're not highly volatile Mm -hmm. earnings, But for whatever reason, the stock will tend, if they're growing 10% a year, EPS, the stock will tend to follow afterwards at like 10% a year. It'll tend to track the dividends and the earnings. At big companies, that's not true. They immediately react. So it can be that for a matter of weeks and stuff, the stock keeps going up after good earnings, whereas it's more likely... Which makes things harder for people in in um, big stocks. That like it'll be going up in anticipation of the earnings. It might even drop on the news, or it might happen
0: immediately after hours that it jumps by however much, and that's the only move that you'll get after the words. It's almost like uh, all these people that, for example, they have like satellite images of like parking lots and mm-hmm. data and credit card information for consumer, you know, uh, consumer information. They you know sort of aggregate all this data to make investment decisions. It's almost like. They probably should be doing that in a less followed space because they probably would have much more opportunity. You know. Yeah, that's why we do
1: it. Um, There's just not as much money in it. So we were, (laughs) yeah. I mean, they you can't manage a billion dollars that way. They'd rather manage a billion dollars than than you know.
0: Yeah, we have talked about how we feel like a lot of our edge could be could come from doing the legwork that other investors just won't. Okay. And what you mean by that is you know going to visit companies seeing them in person mm-hmm. uh, you know going across the country to you know sort of see the operation right. stuff like that now why do you why do you think that okay
1: so this is a part of I think people get confused a little bit about like i'm visiting these things and stuff to establish something with greater confidence or whatever that you could get anyway from the financials and things yeah i don't think that's true there's two cases of this one um which is a pretty obvious one uh, some people think the company's a fraud or something's wrong with it. Well, you can go and establish to your liking and talk to management and, and say, oh, well, I feel like management here is pretty honest. I feel like the stuff here really exists. I can kind of tell that this is doing the volume that it says it's doing and stuff. And so if people are like, I don't kind of like that because... I don't it just doesn't sound like a real business to me or I've never whatever that's pretty easy to solve by just going there and and talking to people and doing things so that's one and it's a huge difference because uh, a business that people are totally convinced is legitimate and everything could obviously be priced twice a business that people don't think is legitimate Um, no problem with that so that's one and the other one is earnings power. So sometimes I read something that tells me the earnings power in the future, the actual earnings in the future is going to be so much higher, most likely than what it is today, that we should buy it today. So um, if you can establish that to your liking, so it's the PE thing. So for instance, I might look at a bank that is gaining in economies of scale, Mm -hmm. and it's it's overcapitalized right now. So it actually doesn't have as much um, uh, it isn't earning as much as it could be without having to uh, change anything really about the bank except just being able to make more loans. Like return on equity wise? Yeah. So the return on assets is high versus the return on equity. And maybe also I think that their, or their earnings are going to grow faster than their, their revenues gonna grow faster than their expenses, right? So if I think those things are true, then what I know is that this could be a double digit earnings per share grower over the next five years, whereas the market looking at it might say this is going to grow like every other bank. And they're just things you can read about that would tell you that might be true. And then you go visit and find out if it is true. Um, The same thing for stuff that's been invested up front, and then might have earnings afterwards. So let's use the NASCAR example thing, we didn't go there and visit them. But let's say that I had reason to believe that on the same using the same facilities the same track they were going to increase each year in terms of attendance increase each year in terms of uh, tv rights increase each year in terms of pricing whatever it's unlikely they'll have to put more capital into the business and stuff like that so that growth will be very strong in terms of earnings so it does happen sometimes that we think we can buy something for like i don't know 15 times earnings or something but Everyone else is just saying, well, it's 15 times earnings, whereas I'm saying, well, it's 15 times earnings, but I think they can grow their earnings 15% a year or something, because something really remarkable like that, because actually, they've already done a lot of the investment work up front, like they already have the place that they need, they already have the staff that they need, they're already doing the stuff that's going to pay dividends a few years down the road, or it could be the brand name that they need, or whatever, like
0: they've got the momentum, the business momentum going already. Well, really, it comes down to, again, thinking about the business in five years or 10 years as opposed to next quarter or next year or next two years, like 90% of investors out there. But if the reported results already reflected that,
1: they would not be available at a value price. So what the, their growth yeah. investing is very, very smart. People are right to be growth investors. The problem is that most people think of a growth stock as something that's already grown 15% a year for the last five years in EPS. Mm-hmm. And if it's already done that, then the price gets too high. But if you can find the thing that you think is now going to grow, faster than before or whatever uh and you can buy it then it often isn't shown up in the price yet and that mostly has to do with the reported results mm-hmm. i found that to be very true especially with very small companies it's not what the business is growing at underneath uh what the actual organic growth is of the business it really is the earnings per share thing uh so and people sometimes don't even care that much between organic growth and inorganic growth and stuff so if trans dime has been growing earnings per share consistently and stuff and then another company has been more lumpy or whatever it might be even though underneath the growth in like the actual customer numbers and stuff is very strong the unit growth and all that sort of thing then they may like the thing that's acquiring growing people mm-hmm. really like that constant EPS growth whereas sometimes you can see that they made some investment up front or whatever like we were talking to something where I was saying uh, where they have hired several people and it's a big deal because the company only has a, a staff of a small number so they hired by payroll and by a staffing and stuff they put more they added more than like 10 percent or something so um you know those people won't pay for themselves at first like salesmen don't pay for themselves at first Uh, but in a few years they will and so you can see that and say okay there's going to maybe be a big step up in growth in the future and what's better than that is they have a hit to their earnings because if you remember over-the-counter markets um so otcm it actually had a good Earnings this uh, quarter and stuff, but they actually moved their offices and did some other things and stuff, which increased expenses. To New York City. Right, which increased expenses in the past year throughout the year basically and so their earnings were not that good even though the things that i care about revenue and gross profit and stuff were solidly normal now if you think they're not going to keep doing that all the time mm-hmm. then who who cares if their expenses went up once by yeah you know, it's not going to affect their free cash flow going forward right if their expenses normally rise five percent a year the fact that it rose 15 percent one time doesn't bother me but see that but that hits the eps And now when someone goes into QuickFS and looks at it and stuff, they go, what happened here? Mm -hmm. And they won't go and find out that that's what happened and whatever. They'll just say, oh, they're not as consistent.
0: Well, that's the hard part, too, when you're looking at companies sort of with a bird's eye view Mm -hmm. of of just like doing the snap judgments. It's like, and we always say that this is an issue. We don't know the story. It could very well still be cheap if it's showing a, you know, a one-time PE of 20 to 25. Yeah. But because maybe they spent more, but in the future, it's not going to be like that.
1: Yes. So you talked to me about an accounting one where you were saying, Well, isn't one of these segments making like all the money and the other one not? And I said, No, actually it's very close to fifty fifty, but all the amortization is in one unit mm-hmm. and not the other. And that used to be a really big deal. Because of accounting changes, very few things are amortized. But um we, we actually own a stock where there's some amortization. I don't think anyone notices it. It's it's NACO. Um, but it their free cash flow exceeds their earnings per share in that one and will basically forever in that particular thing. They're amortizing coal contracts over the entire life of the contract. But um that's a big one that I've noticed that people get wrong. Now, you'd say EBITDA should fix that, but then you have the problem that EV to EBITDA stuff that people do uh isn't useful for comparing different um kinds of business models. So for instance, doing the spin-off, just about everyone used EV to EBITDA for Naco and for um Hamilton Beach brands. Mm-hmm. The problem is that the peers that they use for Naco are coal miners. Which is fine. Naco can be compared to other coal miners, and, and it's fine. But you can't combine the you can't compare the EBITDA with other coal miners because Naco only has one coal mine where it actually takes the um it puts in new capital into that. So. It, that would be like comparing something where you had—it's like comparing McDonald's franchisee with a McDonald's, the company that that does the franchising. Um, you shouldn't compare; they shouldn't have the same EV EB to EBITDA, right? So they pick them as if they're peers when they're not peers. Sure, yeah. So a company that isn't in any sense a peer because its business model is different—that's one that's really easy now because it seems that's the technique that almost everyone uses. They, whether it's a spinoff, whether it's other value things, they just say let's use the same multiple that others in the industry have. And it's almost like you're an investment banker preparing a fairness opinion or something. And that can be way off when you just think they should all trade at the same EV to EBITDA.
0: How many situations? I mean, it's interesting. There's been a couple of situations in our experience with focus compounding where if we took sort of the public perception of a stock to heart, we would have missed out on an interesting opportunity. But because we did our own research and our own scuttlebutt, Mm -hmm. it turned out to be. Something interesting. Right, which can be a few things. One, it can be confirmation bias and stuff.
1: Two, it could mean there's tons of situations like that out there and you're not noticing them. Because, you know, Howard Marks had a memo where he said um, that the unfortunate thing is that in the areas that he knows best, he realizes that he disagrees the most with. uh, with with media coverage and things like that like he was saying and I've found that to be true too which is a little worrying because in areas I don't know anything about I take reports sure. as if they're true yeah. but then when I read some business thing about whatever I read some whatever thing I realize oh that's not right what they're saying there about some industry that I know better so if that's true then how many other things are not that accurate that's right You're t- if you don't know a company at all it's very likely that you're taking the beliefs about it from other people that may not have looked into it themselves and figured it out. Mm -hmm. So that is a really big problem. Um, I would say, you know, it's, it's a very, very big problem. And I think that you can often uncover these things by looking for the stuff that there, maybe the perception might be wrong. Um, You have hints of that. A lot of times, sometimes you see something that looks like a really good business and yet people don't think of it as a good business, so you have to wonder why is that true? The, the greatest example of that is just gross margins. Anytime you come across a business that has amazing gross margins and people don't like the business, you have to ask yourself, "Wait, what's going on here?" Because it's probably a great business. Uh, or it could be some sort of multi-level marketing thing or fad or something that's going to fall apart or whatever. But if they're like, "I kind of don't like the business," well, that's really weird. And you have to go into it and learn about it that way. Now, the other reverse can be true, too. I, I, there are some things where you have to think, well, why do they like a business with really low gross margins? You know, that's a tech thing or whatever. Allegedly, that it's a great business. But if it has 15% gross margins, is it really? If you're finding something that has 70 80 90% gross margins and people hate it, I mean, you know, if it has attributes of what other good companies look like, that's sort of a, a concern and uh, that they may just may be very wrong about it. And a lot of times they rely on the stock. Um, when things have changed with the company, that's an easy way
0: to have the inefficiencies happen. Yeah, I mean, you've talked about sometimes the best time to buy a stock is when it, maybe there's an acquisition or there's something that's yeah. dramatically going to change the company mm-hmm. going forward. Yes. And it's not even reflected in the financial statements or the EPS or the revenue today. Yeah. And it's I, like the whole market doesn't even notice. Right. That's the best. And I talked about like, um,
1: I've talked about the BWX technologies and stuff with people asking questions about, but you have to remember I bought that as a pre-spinoff stock. We bought NAC as a pre-spinoff stock, uh, well, as a spinoff stock, but it was the remaining part. But um, the thing, so take that example, coal company and a specific kind of coal company and stuff um, with a uh, company that makes like pots and stuff. So you could see how people could be confused and stuff. And then when it spins off, it gets different reactions from it. Um, Babcock and Wilcox, uh, it had a really great business and then a business that after the spinoff has basically gone down to being worth nothing. Um, and there was a third part that got shut down. So basically it had three parts of which one made up a huge positive value and the other two were kinds of drags, money losers or, or why wouldn't they just sell that part of the business as opposed to spinning it off? Um, well, that's a very good question. Uh, I think that to be honest, they, no buyers. uh, No, I, I, I don't know. Actually, I think to be honest, they were focused on shareholder value. And so they would have had to pay a lot of money. I mean, it's worth more spinning it off. I mean, that's always true. Not always true, but it's very often true that spinning off is worth more. And they shut down something else that they could have kept open. So I actually think that it was a good indication that they were concerned about shareholder value in that case. Um, I don't know if they could have sold this to someone. Um, The most likely buyer was, uh, well, I don't know. I, it's possible. Like someone like G would have been willing to buy it mm-hmm. back then, and now G has problems and stuff. But G bought their biggest competitor, which caused G some more problems for <laughs> too. But uh, but I don't think they were they were yeah. So it, it's possible a company like G could have bought it. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't have bought the whole thing probably. I don't know. I, I don't think they
0: were ever willing to shop the entire company. What are people? What are some things that people should look out for then? Is it really trying not to do snap judgments?
1: It's just... it's just is it or is it used don't focus sales? on earnings. You don't know what I'm focus yeah. yeah.
0: Don't focus on earnings. So
1: what are the assets worth? What's the earnings power? Use those kinds of things. So sales, gross profits, even things with banks. I say to people all the time with banks, use enterprise value to um You can use earnings assets if you want, which are like loans and securities or deposits. And basically at a lot of companies that a lot of banks will work out to be very similar amounts. So what are they paying per dollar of deposit? I mean, how many deposits or how many loans and securities are you getting per dollar that you're buying versus even using something like price to book? Because if you talk to people in the industry and stuff, they'll often think about will they buy the bank across the street based on what I just said? and yet investors won't use that. Mm-hmm. So why is that? Um, cement stuff, if people acquire cement plants based on their capacity in terms of tons and their location, then shouldn't you value a cement plant based on like EV to tons and where it is in the country and maybe how modern it is and whatever. But just think like you're acquiring the business. What would people pay to acquire this entire business mm-hmm. or this asset, right? And with the some of the parts stuff, same thing. Some of the parts is usually one of the most attractive ones to get mispricings because the market has a real problem with that. I don't find it to be true that the market correctly prices things that have both assets and earnings. Um, And they can even cause pricing problems with other things like that. it, It either will focus entirely on assets sometimes, very rarely, or earnings. Anything that you know will earn a lot in the future or is capable of earning a lot but isn't today that's the thing where the inefficiency is it's very hard to buy something at a low price that is consistently reporting in earnings it's real um earning power Mm -hmm. so basically buying stuff that you know will earn a lot more in the future or stuff that could be put to better use so the good examples of that are stuff that have a lot of land holdings that can often be put to better use and a lot of um cash receivables inventory that stuff can also sometimes be put to better use but it depends that inventory stuff depends more on whether they're willing to exit the business
0: Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning with Jeff and myself on the number one value investor podcast in the world. If you want to support us, um, a rating review on the podcast, I think, goes a very long way. But more importantly, hit that subscribe button both on YouTube and the podcast. We want to thank everybody so much for the support. We're having a lot of fun doing this, and we will see you in the next podcast.